Today, we are continuing our sermon series. Not only are we continuing it, we're actually concluding it. We're concluding our series that we've been doing for the past 10 weeks now, going through the book of Acts, doing a sermon series that we've called Church on the Go. And I, first off, I just want to say thank you very much to everyone who gives me feedback on sermons. Um, and, and honestly, I actually like real feedback uh, because I'm on a journey to grow spiritually as well. Like, it's nice when people come up to me at the door and they go, well, nice sermon, Pastor. That was wonderful. I mean, I appreciate that. I really do. But the comments that really touch my heart the most, it's like, Pastor, that word, that verse, that passage wrecked me. And God showed up in the word of God and changed something in my life. That it set me free from a sin. It made me reconcile with someone. It made me do whatever it is that God wants to do. When I hear those kind of stories... Oh, my goodness, then it's worth it. (laughs) You know, the prayer, the study, the banging my head on a Thursday afternoon going, I need an outline done by Friday. You know, all of those things that we do in order to see the church built up, because that's why we do what we do. That's why I so appreciate every one of you who serve here in our church. And that's why I say every single Sunday, thank you, thank you, thank you for how you serve. Because it's not a one-man show here as a church. It's all of us together using our spiritual gifts and our talents to build one another up. I just want to say just a quick thank you to those of you who serve as life group leaders and life group hosts. We made changes to our ministry about seven years ago where we made that a crucial component for how we care for one another. And this is why I unapologetically say this. If you are not in a life group, you are not in our care model as a church. We don't know how to help you and come alongside you and care for you if you're not in one of those life groups. The church is too big, too many people, too many moving parts for one guy in his basement all by himself to know everything that is going on. (laughs) So thank you, life group leaders, for being a part of that work. And I just want to give a special thank you to one of our life group leaders, a lady named Kim, who's been serving in a life group. This was her first time ever doing it. She didn't think she could do it. And our leaders said, no, we see something in you. We know that you can. So our staff come alongside and mentor and guide and coach and help. So, Kim, thank you for stepping out in faith and serving for the very first time. And I pray that your example would be an example to others to step out in faith and try something new and see what God does. I'm going to be a little passionate today. There we go. Because I was ugly crying during one of those songs earlier. I don't know what it is. I'm just emotional. Maybe it's my manopause is kicking in or something. But uh, there was just something this morning, even in my quiet time this morning with God. um, I was uh, praying this morning. I was praying over the verse, the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I was sitting in my comfy chair in my geek corner in my basement, and I was weeping. 
Because our world is weary. The world that you and I find ourselves living in is weary. And I know for many of you, because I have the honor of coming alongside you in your lives, for many of us, it's a season of weariness. Whether it's in our relationships, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our education, whatever it is, there's just something about the world that we find ourselves in right now, and the world feels weary. And we wrestle as followers of Jesus in this heaviness, in this weariness, in everything that's going on in our culture. We wrestle just with our own personal lives going, God, how am I supposed to live as a follower of Jesus in this mess? What are you calling me to do, God, in my struggles, in my hurt, in my pain, in my hang-ups, in my frustrations? I'm just one person. (laughs) And the problems of the world just seem so incredibly huge. See, that was my initial prayer for doing this sermon series, Church on the Go, (laughs) was my deepest desire was that God would give you an answer to those questions. Whether it's dealing with the question, how do I deal with crisis in my own life? How do I deal with the unknown? How do I deal with difficulties? I hope God has been speaking to you on how to deal with that. Or how do I deal with criticism, personal attack, people who don't like me because of my faith? How do you deal with that? I hope God has been giving you that answer. How do I deal with a culture that seems less and less Christian? And more and more hostile to the Christian faith. I hope God has been giving you answers to that. And then finally, one of my desires was how can, you know, that if you wrestle with that question, how can I share my Christian faith with family members, with friends, with the people who are the closest to me, who want nothing to do with this message of Jesus? How can I be a light to them? I pray that God has been giving you answers to that as well. And so as we conclude this series, I realize for those of you who are like real kind of geeky Bible people and been tracking along for the 10 weeks of this series, you'll remember last week we did Acts chapter 18. And today what we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking from Acts chapter 26. And if you're one of those A personality, high ADHD, obsessive compulsive type people, you're going to be like, Pastor Kevin, you just skipped eight chapters. And you're going to be like all bent out of shape today because I skipped eight chapters. Okay, let's take a deep breath. Maybe I'll just give you a little bit of homework. Read those eight chapters yourself. (laughs) Give them a read. Because what we actually see for the last 10 chapters from chapter 18 to chapter 28 in the book of Acts is the fulfillment of the words of Jesus. For the last 10 chapters of the book of of Acts, we see the fulfillment of these words that Jesus declared over the church, over the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these last, chapter, last 10 chapters of the book of Acts is how the disciples ended up getting to the ends of the earth. And back in those days, the ends of the earth were Rome. 
you couldn't get much further than that. They finally make their way to Rome, to the ends of the earth. And what's fascinating, there was actually, uh, I think, well, it still exists. There's actually a movement of uh, church planters, a church planting organization, which is called Acts 29. And the reason it's called Acts 29 is because the book of Acts finishes in 28. And the reason they call this church planting movement Acts 29 is because your life, my life, is Acts 29. Your life as a follower of Jesus is Acts 29 because the Holy Spirit is still working. You see, the same Holy Spirit that worked in these disciples is the same Holy Spirit that works in you and me. The movement of God to bring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth so that everyone on the planet will have the opportunity to know about the incredible love of God. That work continues. And so this is what I want us to conclude with in in our series here today. I want us to spend some time, again, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and how does Paul's faith serve as an example for us in this culture we live in, in this environment that we live in. Because if there truly is a call for every disciple to be a part of the mission of church. And I get there's a tension there. Like sometimes we as Christians, we go, well, no, no, no. The, the, the call to go to the ends of the earth is for missionaries, right? The, you know, we're gonna, we'll send missionaries to the ends of the earth. Or it's for pastors or, or it's for elders. The trick is when we study You know, in the original Greek, in the original languages, the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, the commandments of God, they're not for a select few. It's for every follower, every disciple, everyone, the church, the big C church is included in this mission of going. Now, not everyone is going to get onto a plane and go to South America or to Africa or to Asia or, you know, really far. Some of us, it might just be stepping out our front door. Because in the culture we live in, I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, it actually feels like talking to the people across the street is going to the ends of the earth. Because I don't see them. We all live in our little hut and we don't speak to one another across the street. I've been in the same house for 11 years. I know the name of the lady who sits in, lives in front of me. I know the name of the guy who lives there. I know the name of the person who lives there. And that's it. Everyone else is a stranger to me in 11 years. So every one of us has a call to go. And so let's look at how this gets lived out. So what I'm going to do is I want to summarize kind of seven chapters, and I want to try to summarize this in about a minute and a half. (laughs) Let's see if I can pull this off here, right? In Acts chapter 18, the last part that we looked at last week, we saw that Paul was continuing his missionary travel. He's traveling all over the place. He's building up leaders. He's building up church elders. He's raising up pastors. And everywhere that the apostle Paul goes, there's trouble. Because people don't like his message. See, Paul is rocking the boat. He's rocking the boat religiously. 
So religious leaders who love their worship a certain way, who love their church traditions a certain way, they don't like his message because it's radically different than what they've been teaching. Political leaders don't like his message because he's telling people that there's another king. That your worship shouldn't be going to Caesar, shouldn't be going to the king of Jerusalem, all these people. It should be going to the king of kings. So there's a political unrest that's happening here. So there's religious unrest, there's political unrest that's happening everywhere that Paul goes. So in Acts chapter 18, he was in the city of Corinth. He leaves Corinth. He goes to the city of Ephesus. You know, and this is where, this is like when you study the New Testament, you're hey, there was a thing called Corinthians. That's what he talked about when he was in Corinth. There's the letter of Corinthians. Oh, then he went to Ephesus. Oh, look, there's a, there's a letter called Ephesians. That's what happened to him when he was in Ephesus. You can actually see how your, old, your New Testament all fits together. So he goes to Ephesus. There's another huge riot there. Then he goes to Macedonia. Then he goes to Greece. When he gets to Greece, that's when the Jewish people, again, they really start getting really frustrated with him, and they want him dead, dead, dead. And they begin to plot his murder. (laughs) I always love that. Nice religious people who love God, planting murder, planning murder. A little bit of a disconnect, (laughs) right? And so Paul leaves. He goes back to Macedonia. And then Paul ends up in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Paul is arrested. There he speaks to people and leaders about Jesus. And again, in the city of his people, they plot to kill him. We read about 40 Jewish leaders making a vow that they will not eat or drink anything until Paul is dead. That's a pretty big vow for a religious leader to make. Until this man is put to death, we're not going to eat or drink anything. You know, this plot to kill him is learnt by Paul's nephew, so Paul helps him to escape. And and all of these things that he takes off, he goes to Caesarea. And this is this place, Caesarea, it's the seat of the Roman governor in Judea. And Paul's brought before the Roman governor. And this is where Paul who is officially a Roman citizen, makes his appeal to Caesar. Because Paul is a Roman citizen, he legally has the right to bring his case before Caesar, the most powerful, important man on the planet. So there's a waiting list to talk to the most important man on the planet. You know, I kind of jokingly say, my waiting list, it's not that long. You want to talk to me, usually within a couple of days you can get an appointment to talk with me. I'm not that important. But Caesar, the ruler of Rome, there's a waiting list. This could take years, years before Paul finally gets an opportunity to speak to him. And so they're trying to figure out why should we even waste Caesar's time with Paul speaking to him? What's the charge? Why do people want him dead? So people, though they keep bringing Paul before Roman leaders and Jewish leaders to try to even just figure out what is the charge against him here? Why do people believe he deserves the death penalty? And so this is what ends up happening. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 26, Paul now finds himself before King Agrippa. 
Now, King Agrippa is the king of Jerusalem, of the people there, of Israel. He's kind of a Roman puppet, basically. And they're bringing him there because they're trying to figure out what did he actually break in Jewish law that causes the Jewish people to want him dead. So now Paul is standing before this Jewish king. So now let's finally, okay, it took me a little bit more than a minute and a half to summarize that, but hopefully you get the idea of all the turmoil that Paul has gone through. Now Paul is standing before this king, and the king is trying to determine what should we do with this guy. So let me read here. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. See, when it says here that Agrippa knows all the Jewish stuff and the controversies, the controversies that he's talking about is this movement of Christians, <laughs> this tension that's going on among the people of Israel, that there's something going on. There's this resurrected rabbi that people are talking about. And what do we do about this? So it continues in verse four. Paul says, the Jewish people know, uh, sorry, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raised the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that it was just as I, sorry, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's sharing his early testimony here, and then he continues for the next few verses of telling his story of how he encountered the resurrected Jesus. How Jesus showed up and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul was struck blind. And then he went and another disciple of Jesus took care of him. And then another disciple showed up and healed him of his blindness. And all of this continues. And Paul just pours out his heart, sharing what Jesus has done. Now let me continue down in verse 19. It says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then those in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. 
This is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me, uh, listening to me today may become what I am, except these chains. You see, even in Paul's defense, standing before the king of his people here, trying to determine, the king trying to determine what legal reason do we have to put this man to death? Paul's greatest desire is not his freedom. It's the salvation of this king. Paul's greatest desire is not his freedom. It's the salvation of this king and everyone else that hears. His greatest desire is that you will believe exactly like me and you will find yourself in exactly the same position that I am, but I hope you never get arrested for it. I hope you won't have to have these chains. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I'll just conclude here in verse 32. It says Agrippa said to Festus, go, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Agrippa can find no legal reason to execute Paul. Because he knows that everything in the Old Testament points to this coming Messiah. This king who will die for his people, the people of Israel. This king who will die for all of humanity. And this king recognizes, he knows this is true, even if he's not ready to believe it himself just yet. And this is the big idea that I want us to conclude this series with. For all of us as followers of Jesus is Jesus is sending us to them. We live in a culture where we're creating, sadly, more and more and more division in the world. We're categorizing everybody and we're putting all human beings in different boxes. Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, whatever, whatever. (laughs) whatever and whatever. And we're putting and we're trying to fit everyone into boxes. 
And what happens is when we as followers of Jesus begin to put human beings in boxes, in categories, automatically what we begin to do is we begin to say there's us and then there's them. And as soon as we in our heart start putting people into a box of them, we begin to treat them like them. And you know what I mean by that? There's this group that I want nothing to do with. Here's this group of people. Here's that political opinion. Here's this view of theology. Here's this sexual orientation. Here's all this messy stuff over there that I want nothing to do with. I just want to hang out with us. Because <laughs> I like hanging out with us. We're awesome. And we all think the same and look the same and behave the same, believe the same, eat the same food, watch the same TV shows, like the same songs on Sunday morning. Us is great. Us is comfortable. Us is familiar. But the purpose of the church, the purpose of your life, the purpose of my life as a follower of Jesus is that Jesus is sending us to them so that we can be like Paul, that our greatest desire is not our freedom, but that our greatest desire is their salvation. So how can that become more real in our life? How can the church truly be that type of place? Just three quick things that I want us to look at again here from the text so we can see Paul as the example, right? What is it about Paul's faith in Jesus that he can put his freedom secondary and that he can make the salvation of people his priority in his life? What is it about that faith? Three quick things. The first thing that we see here is that Paul welcomes opportunity. Paul welcomes opportunity. In verse 26, verse 2, Paul says, I consider myself fortunate. Paul's under arrest. Paul's in chains. Paul, like there's a whole group of people in this room, led by this guy named Festus and a whole bunch of other people who want him dead. And Paul is standing there going, wow, I consider myself fortunate. I don't know about you, but I, I have a problem with that. You see, um, I, there's this thing that I really love. And there's this thing that I really love, and, and I work really, really, really hard to ensure I experience it every day. And it's comfort. I love comfort. I work really, really hard to make my house comfortable, to make my, my office space at home comfortable. I spent all yesterday afternoon cleaning up my office so I could move this wooden chair that I hate and put it somewhere else and take one of our really nice expensive lazy boys and move into my corner where all my stuff is so I can read over there. Danielle looked at me this, last night when she saw where the chair was. She goes, oh, so that's where we're putting that now? It's like, yeah, that's where we're putting it now because I love comfort. The challenge for us, 
as followers of Jesus, as Jesus never promised us comfort. He promised us his presence. He promised us his power. He promised us that he will be with us no matter what goes on in our lives. And and, and that's why I love Paul's words here. I find myself fortunate, right? We don't like discomfort. As human beings, we are discomfort adverse. We don't want it. But the reality of the Bible is in our discomfort, it's those times when God shows up. It's those times when God shows up in power. It's when we see people change, when we see sin, people set free from sin, when we see lives being transformed, it's very rarely done in seasons of comfort. So we need to be men, women, boys, and girls that welcome opportunities, even if it means there's going to be some discomfort. You know, how do we actually welcome the opportunities to tell people about Jesus? Do you? welcome the opportunity to tell people about Jesus? Or do you dread it? It's like, oh my goodness, I hope no one at work ever finds out a Christian because I'd hate to have to talk about this. Oh, I hope none of my friends at school found out I went to church yesterday because I'd really hate to talk about this. Do you dread it or do we welcome it? I think one of the reasons why we dread it so much is because we're actually not ready to tell the story of our faith in Jesus. (laughs) I think that's why we dread it. We, We just don't know what to say. And we've talked about this before in this series, but we talked about just tell your story. You don't need to convince anyone that God is real. Just tell people your story. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing here again in Acts 26. This is, I think, is like the third time Paul tells his conversion story. It's short. It's in like six verses. It's quick, and Paul explains everything that Jesus did to him in six or seven verses. So my homework for you is um, take out a piece of paper and a pencil and learn to write your testimony in Jesus in six or seven sentences. And be prepared. Do the homework before someone asks. Six sentences. What was your life like before Jesus? How did Jesus come into your life? And how is your life different today? It's just that. And then we can welcome opportunity to talk about it because we're actually prepared. Six, seven sentences, three minutes or less. I heard someone say this once. It's an elevator pitch. If you're a salesman and you know how to sell your product in three minutes or less, you get into an elevator with someone and you can pitch your product in that elevator ride. Can you do the same thing with Jesus? quick and fast. That's the first thing. We need to welcome opportunity. The other thing I think we need to do as followers of Jesus so that we can make sure that we are people that God is sending us to them is that we need to remember our past. You need to remember your past. See, Paul spends Acts 26 here in verses 9 to 11 of talking about his failure. Paul is not talking about his highlight reel, how awesome of an apostle he is. Like, man, look at all the people I won to the Lord. Look how amazing my leadership is. Look at all the incredible things I've done. Look at all the churches I've planted. Look how the Holy Spirit has moved. He doesn't spend those, that time telling people about his success. 
he's reminding people, he's reminding himself that he was once them. That he was lost in his sin, that he was far from God, that he believed it was his work, his tradition, him being a good boy that would save him and get him to heaven. And Paul needs that constant reminder, that's who I was. How do you develop a heart for people outside of the church? It's remembering that at some point in your life, you were outside of the church. (laughs) That you were not part of the family of God. That you were lost in your sin. That you, according to the teachings of Bible, were an enemy of God in your sin. You see, I have... um, I kind of have this love-hate relationship with coming to faith as an adult. Like, I I, I look as an adult, as a 50-year-old man, and I look at so many of you who are here with your young kids and your grandkids and all of that, and I look at that incredible heritage that you're building into your family. And and, and I was like, oh, I wish that's how I would have grown up. I so wish that's how I would have grown up with that heritage, with my grandparents and my parents and my siblings and, and then every and that whole generation worshiping together. I wish that's how I would have grown up. But I also recognize coming to faith at 26, I'm so aware of my sin because I was well immersed in it. I believed everything the world had to offer, everything. I had the Platinum American Express card traveling all over the world, all of the money, all of the prestige in my computer career. I was recognized as an, as an expert in my field around the world. I was writing news, uh, 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 articles in magazines and blogs, and it was awesome. But I was lost in my sin. And when I remember that, how could I ever despise them. You can't. Because I was them. You were them. Jesus is sending us to them. So we need to remember our past. And then finally, I think the example of Paul here is to pray for those in our influence. We see here in Acts 26, uh, verse 29, where Paul says, you know, um, that he prays short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Everyone around us in this weary, weary world is looking for an answer to deal with the weariness that they are experiencing. What do I need to do about this? How do I need to solve this? Is there any hope of getting out of this? And we have that hope. You have that hope that there is a God who loves them. And he wants to meet with them, and he wants to be with them, and he wants to empower them, and he wants to bring comfort to them in their weariness. It may not make the problem go away, but when the presence of God shows up into our lives, it's incredible when it happens, right? 
And so you know this. And God wants to use you to influence those people around you. To share your story. That story I said that you should prepare, that six, seven sentences. Then start to pray after you write that out. Then pray that God will give you an opportunity to share it with someone. Welcome that opportunity to share it. But pray, pray, pray. That people would hear what you have to say. And come to believe. See, because Jesus is sending us to them. I say this, uh, I go to a lot of leadership meetings, and um, this is where I get a little passionate sometimes when I get together with other pastors and denominational leaders and church planters and things like this. There's this massive desire in so many people to focus on what we want as Christians, what I want, my freedom, my preference. I want to go back to get everything that I want and everything that I gave up in March of 2020. I want it back because it's mine. And, and, and I'm in that camp. <laughs> I miss February 2020. I really do. But Paul's words here have so messed me up that... Um, I welcome the opportunity to suffer for the loss. I prefer to have no freedom if it means people coming to know Jesus. See, that's the call. And it's awkward and it's hard. And people leave churches over this right now. The church is going through the great reshuffling of finding the church that I agree with ideology. I like their ideology. I like their ideal. I like how they're responding to COVID. I like how they're responding to vaccines. I like how they're responding to whatever cultural issue we're dealing with. My biggest desire when I talk to pastors and leaders is, are we actually creating environments where people's greatest desire is Jesus's greatest desire? As the church is our greatest desire, Jesus's greatest desire. Because his greatest desire is to seek and save the lost. And he saved you from your sin. He saved me from our sin so we can all do that together. You see, I remember what it was like to be a non-Christian. I was 26 years old. I, was a, I, had a, I had a diploma in pure and applied sciences, a background in math and physics and computers. I was a smart, intellectual, intelligent guy who didn't like God, who didn't like the church. So I thought the church was for weak, dumb people. No offense. But it's what I believed. It was to manipulate you to get your money. So people could have private jets and big fancy cars. And I was reading a Bible because I'd heard some things about Jesus that I'd never heard before. And I thought it was garbage. So I read it. I wanted to read it for myself to prove, to disprove the existence of God. So I started in Genesis and I read, read, read Leviticus was fun. And I kept going. I got through it on my commute to work every day. And then I got to Ephesians where Ephesians chapter two says that there's nothing you can do to save yourself from your sin that you're a sinner. Kevin, you're a sinner. 
the things that you're wrestling with in your heart, the way that you think about people in your mind, the way you think about the church, the way you think about Christians, (laughs) sin. And the only way to receive forgiveness of that sin is to repent and to say, God, forgive me, a sinner. So over 20 years ago, that's what I did. (laughs) And my life has never been the same. (laughs) It's not been easy, but it's been amazing. Watching God show up again and again and again in your lives, in so many other people's lives. It just happens again and again and again. And so I pray to my dying day, God will use me constantly to reach them. To be a part of a church that is passionate about reaching them. To see lives changed. That's the goal. And maybe you today, you need to, for the very first time, just come to Jesus. Maybe you resonate with my story. Maybe someone brought you here and that you resonate with their story. They've been sharing Jesus with you. You can come to know the presence of God in your life just by simply praying. Like I just said, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus came into my life and make me new. If you pray that today at Church Online, a pop-up shows up, please click that and let us know. If you pray that in your heart here in this room, come and tell me after the service. I want to celebrate and rejoice with you. And for those of us, whether we did that today or whether we did it 50 years ago, let's be men, women, boys, and girls that are open to the opportunities of God. Let's not worry about our comfort, but let's trust God's opportunities to share our faith. Let's remember our past. You were not perfect. You are not perfect. I'm not perfect. (laughs) So we can go and we can love on other people who are not perfect either. (laughs) Let's not forget who we are and what God has done in our lives. And trust that God can move in their life the same way. And let's pray, pray, pray. But the people we love in our families... The people that we love in our schools and in our workplaces will come to know Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father God, I just praise you and thank you that you call the church to go. That it's great when we gather as the children of God. It's great when we worship. It's great when we do ministry. It's great when we have celebrations and potlucks and all of these wonderful things that we do. But God, each and every one of those things, the reason for them is to build us up, to strengthen us up so that we can go. So God, as a church here at Greenbelt, use everything that we do to grow us in our faith. Use KidZone to grow kids to go. Use Fusion to grow teenagers to grow. Use our life groups to grow men and women to go. Use everything that we do to help us become more like Jesus so that we can go. Bless us, God, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.